It's Nick Brown, Commissioning Editor for Global Health for Archives of Disease in Childhood. I'm really pleased to welcome Winston Nguyen, a paediatric cardiac intensivist at the Anne and Robert Lurie Hospital in Chicago. He does a lot of work in Vietnam, facilitating paediatric car- cardiac surgery there and contributed to a an exciting paper on facilities in paediatric car- cardiac surgery and outcomes in settings both with and without facilities, which has now been accepted and is out online. Winston, welcome. Good morning or good afternoon to you, Dr. Brown. It's early afternoon here. Um, I wonder whether, just to to get people some perspective, if you could talk a little about about global burden of congenital cardiac disease to get an idea of the sort of scale that that the surgeons face. Yes, so the incidence of uh, congenital heart defects is uh, constant around the world, and that's a good thing because it's uh, when you do healthcare planning, when there's a reliable expected number of children with congenital heart disease, it's easy to understand and allocate resource accordingly. About one in 120 uh, newborns are born with congenital heart disease, and so that amounts to about 1 million children that are born worldwide with these conditions. The problem is approximately 90%, you know, the estimates varies between 75 to 90% of these children with congenital heart disease lack access to the care that they need, and some of these can be life-saving. So that's the extent of the problem. You know, the availability of treatment varies uh, across different regions of the world. Um, the first comprehensive study that was published um, was in the 1990s by an Austrian surgeon who demonstrates that with the exception of uh, parts of Europe, Northern Amer- North America, and um, Australia, the remaining regions of the world children are receiving much less access to cardiac interventions. Um, so there's a wide gap and significant health healthcare disparities for this uh, patient population. Yeah, so what, 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 what sort of barriers do children in the most impoverished circumstances face and what would the typical course of a, of a child be say with a major congenital cardiac defect, a transposition, a fallows perhaps, in the absence of any facilities? I think the main and important barriers to uh, receiving treatments, um, you have to, it has to be taken into context. And we're talking specifically now about low middle income um, regions of the world. So population is important. There are parts of the world that has uh, existing large population and large growth. Um, and I think that um, Africa is hit the hardest um, in that it has a um, highest population growth rate. Asia is also affected by large population. So we begin with that. And the limited healthcare infrastructures also is an important barrier. Uh, many of these nations and populations are struggling with not only abilities to deal with uh, communicable disease, but there's also a rising concern um, about non-communicable disease. So the, the so to speak, um, double disease burdens. You know, the 
limited healthcare funding is also important. We've known uh, from studies which demonstrated that central governments and ministries uh, of health ability to dedicated resource to public healthcare funding. It parallels with the country's gross domestic, domestic product you know, in high-income countries. And that um, percentage is anywhere between 11 to 13 percent of the GDPs. Mm. And when we talk about um, low-middle-income countries, that percentage is much less, somewhere around 5.8 to 6 percent. So when there's competition for resources to deal with extreme poverty and communicable disease, um, there's just less resource going around. Um, So making it a compelling case to divert some of those resources to support treatment for um, congenital heart disease is um, quite difficult. It's a tough case to make. And so, you know, funding is left then to uh, come from other sources like the family ability to pay. So that can be quite difficult in that context. Um, so it comes from external um, aid, from non-governmental organization, from uh, philanthropic sources. Now I want to focus on the healthcare system challenges. So data from the WHO mm. and from contribution from um, uh, organizations that uh, do field work in low-middle-income countries demonstrated that healthcare infrastructure is quite fragile, you know, and it's related to economic and political instability. It's also relating to the lack of healthcare professionals. And that has to do with poor reimbursement, difficult to train and retain specialists. That's an important problem. Once you build a hospital, you don't have um, specialists to staff the care for these these children and these patients. It can be quite a major barrier. And so to step in to solve those problems, it comes from um, two prongs, either from the in-country programs or um, in combination with uh, external non-governmental organizations. Uh, And we see an evolution of how that collaboration evolves over time. Could you give an example of each of those? Yes. So initially, in the very beginning phase in response to a call to action, uh, children with congenital heart disease, when they are diagnosed, they are often sent, they were often sent abroad for treatment to the UK, to North America, Australia, or other advanced parts of uh, Asia. And so that's a case-by-case situation. Mm. And I think we all who work in the field quickly recognize that with the large burden of disease and large burden of children who are untreated, that's not a very sustainable approach. It costs money, and you have to be very selective about which children you send away for surgical interventions because once the surgeries are done, they return to their home countries, and they have to be living um, near a tertiary care where complications of follow-up can be um, 
can be available. You know, we lose children who had advanced surgical interventions and they return to their home countries and they don't have the appropriate follow-up for um, for potential complications. So we migrated away from that. The entire field migrated away from that to the point where we recognize that capacity building is really crucial. So it begins with what's termed north-south collaboration, where a university or a children's hospital or a consortium will um, pair together with an in-country program. And it begins with uh, visits to those countries and those programs and investments in finance, investment in education and training, as well as the, uh, providing direct patient care and there are many great examples of that, but the philosophy behind that is um, is called twinning. It's a lasting relationship and intense commitment. And the whole uh, purpose and goal is that in about seven, five to seven years that you are able to achieve independent programs uh, that are functioning uh, high-functioning, able to serve the immediate population as well as grow to become a regional center uh, of excellence or referral center that can be then train other regional programs uh, within the country or outside the country. So that's the evolution yeah. because I think we recognize that transporting teams from the U.K., to Southeast Asia, you know, to South America, to Europe, to Africa is not very sustainable. Yeah. We talked a bit before, HXJ discussed uh, it briefly beforehand, another system which is working nicely in China. I wonder whether you'd be able to describe that. Yeah, I want to um, bring to your attention, this is one of many successful um, examples of uh, internet collaboration and this is uh, occurred between the whole project, um, which is based in Boston uh, at Boston Children's Hospital, and the um, Shanghai Children's Medical Center. And I want to emphasize again that this is one of the few success examples. And it began in the 1970s, where a fledging program in Shanghai uh, worked closely with the program in uh, Boston. And it begins with intense training, and it evolves over time so that you see demonstrated evidence of uh, improvement and growth in capability of the program, meaning that they are able to address and provide treatment from the very simple to the very complex forms of congenital heart disease. Um, they're able to treat children who are neonates to uh, infants, toddlers, and older children. Um, they are also able to grow in their capacity, meaning that the case loads increase significantly. And as a result, the mortality reduce. And they start out with a small team with um, a few surgeons. So, you know, just it, they start out with three surgeons in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And uh, by um, 2007, they have 18 surgeons. 
and their intensivists and their perfusionists and nurses and ICU beds capacity also grew accordingly. So Shanghai's ch um, Children Medical Center now function um, at a very high level. They not only serve, uh, capable of serving children within Shanghai, um, they are able to uh, be a resource and referral center um, for other provinces in China. They send out team into rural parts of China uh, to train the local teams. And they also have international initiatives um, supporting uh, neighboring countries um, in Vietnam, in Burma, in um, Cambodia as well. So that's a good example of uh, tight collaboration, intense collaboration. Um, it starts out international across um, um, the Pacific, um, and now we have a um, highly competent program that can serve as a center of excellence for its own region. And I think there's great promise in, in that model of service uh, because every single time you send a team across the ocean, um, across borders to um, for a, a medical or surgical mission, that's a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And with funding um, that is unreliable, um, you know, that's not very sustainable. In fact, a study, a survey study um, that was conducted by the World Society for Pediatric and Congenital Heart Surgery demonstrated that many, about 50% of the um, existing NGOs report very important concerns that their program uh, are declining and their resources and finance um, are declining. So, you know, they cannot afford to continue to send medical and surgical teams overseas to support um, um, a broad program. No. And then there's the additional problem about raising the hopes of the, the population only for things to change, which ends in disappointment, of course. Are, are there, in terms of other long-term solutions, you've illustrated some, some current examples, and are, are there any other spokes that need to be addressed in other, in other settings? Yeah, I think it should be really begins with the recognition and appreciation that, one, non-communicable diseases are important, um, not only in the disease burden, but the impact that it can have on society. And you and our readers are aware that the WHO um, has really recognize the importance of non-communicable disease. Congenital heart disease is a treatable condition, and uh, not all forms of congenital heart disease are highly complex. There are forms of congenital heart disease that can be intervened um, in a timely fashion, and that can significantly impact the quality of life for the children and the family. And these are potential children who can become adolescents and young adults who contribute to the workforce. So that's really important in the context of the congenital heart disease. I think leadership is important because all of these efforts that are taking place on the ground by the in-country programs and the non-governmental organizations, they are incredible efforts. However, they are not 
well coordinated. I think as a global community, mm. I don't think we have a good sense of where we are going. Do we have strategic planning and goals for the next five years and 10 years as a global community and a community of practice? Everyone is doing their best um, to address the problem at hand. Uh, but really there's a lack of understanding of where the entire ship or the fleet of ship is actually going mm. uh, together. And that's the best metaphor that I can come up with is that you can make the greatest impact if as a, as a collective you know where you're all going. I mentioned the center of excellence model of care and I think that it makes sense because it's quote-unquote local, and I think that regional or local teams best understand the uh, disease burden, the unique challenges, and therefore unique um, solutions that only the local teams can understand. Um, innovative uh, ways of funding um, this effort is important, and I think that programs in India have really understood and thrived because they have come up with innovative uh, ways to fund cardiac surgeries because public uh, and governmental funding, as I alluded to earlier, is, is uh, extremely limited to, to be able to combine public and private funding and microeconomics uh, models are providing a shared or poor risk through small healthcare insurances can help families able to afford cardiac interventions for their children. And I think that the collaborations is important with all these uh, disparate efforts. I think it would be much better if, let's say, if there are uh, five small programs in a city, mm. if they can collaborate to build a or to support a high-functioning a center of excellence in that city, and then satellite programs that can serve less high-acuity uh, complex cases and basically um, create uh, referral networks into provinces and rural centers yeah. so that we can diagnose early and uh, create and support uh, good transport programs to get these children into the treatment centers. And then the non-governmental organizations should collaborate more so that they do not duplicate efforts. It's not uncommon at all if you speak with your colleagues you know, sometimes we meet each other in airports coming and leaving, not knowing that we are supporting the same programs, yeah. and we don't know that uh, we're overlapping with yeah. resources. Uh, we have, you know, the, the local team would often be confused by the education. Mm. Um, we teach our, the teams or we educate the teams differently based on our bias, our mm. practice. And many of these uh, country programs will say, though, you know, they have uh, government, uh, these NGOs visiting in the early parts of the year, but nobody comes in the later part of the years. So that's, that's an opportunity for improvement. 
um, and then you know sharing and collecting data in a database that's global is important because that's the only way for us to learn and reflect and improve the quality of our services for our, uh, for our program growth as well as uh, patient care. And so those are the major highlights in potential things that we can work on so that we can elevate um, our level of services and care t um, in right. uh, pediatric cardiac surgery around the globe. Winston, thank you very much indeed. There's some very thought-provoking stuff there, and I hope maybe we could, in a few years' time, we can repeat this pod and see see how things have evolved. Clearly, a lot better use of of effort. You know, ch channeling the the motivation into into more productive effort is is a major part of this. But all, but also choosing the context-specific systems which work which work best. Thank you very much. Thank you.